I'm going to ask you this morning to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And specifically, we will be looking as our main text today at verses 8 through 10 as we go through the Word of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verses 8 through 10. And today I come to you as a shepherd that is concerned for all of our souls. And I want to address something that plagues me at various times. And I know it plagues other Christians at various times in the life. And that is the issue of discouragement. I actually put in my notes spiritual discouragement because discouragement is spiritual for the believer. It's a device of the enemy that is plaguing many, many, many of God's people. And you know, you take a look at our society today and you see the pervasive ills of our society today and you see the rise of social media and and, and, and the constant 24-hour news and just this cycle of just misery and misery and misery that um, that we hear day in and day out. And the enemy, you know, strategically uses this discouragement against believers in Christ. You see, the enemy senses weakness in the church. And that's a sad statement. The enemy senses weakness in the church, and he senses it among God's people. And spiritual discouragement is one of his most powerful weapons to incapacitate, to render useless God-serving people. You see, the enemy desires, and this is the first thing you have to know, is that the enemy desires to have God's people downcast, to have God's people depressed, and to have God's people spiritually weak. That's his desire. Satan doesn't desire spirit-filled, strong, confident in God believers. He has to work against that, and he does that primarily through discouragement. He will distract us with the world. He will distract us with unbelievers' success. And their apparent contentment with their lives, their laughter, their joy, their possessions, their thinking, their politics, their friendships, etc., etc. I can tell you that, you know, many years that I traveled for business and being alone, you know, for three, four days on a business trip. And when I would come to evening after we would, you know, take care of work that those that I was traveling with go, come on, we're going to go out and we're going to go out and, you know, bar hop and go to the strip clubs and, and do all the other different things. And I'd see them in the morning and they were, oh, what a time we had last night. It was awesome. It was great. And there's a price to pay for holiness. And there's a price to pay to hold for Christ. But there are many who think that that is what the world has to offer and and that is the way that we find contentment and happiness in the world. Many Christians look to the world's things, the world's possessions, 
the world's politics, the world's justice, and get so frustrated because they don't see and experience joy through the things, joy through politics, joy through others. And it leads to discontentment. And it leads to discouragement. The enemy would have us look at the world and then challenge our beliefs, just as we read in Psalm 42. Where is your God? As you go through your times of turmoil, as you go through your times of suffering, he will have us turn against each other, question our motives and intention, intentions. He will tire us with laziness and indifference in our minds and in our hearts. He will tempt us with leisure instead of devotion, with pleasure of this world versus sacrifice, and with feelings versus the fullness of the Holy Spirit. His goal, and be crystal clear with this, his goal is to destroy, to destroy our faith, And his purpose is to stop the advance of the kingdom of God upon the earth. In short, Satan uses discouragement to advance his kingdom and, quite frankly, to blaspheme God. That's it. That's it. We have Christians running around quoting all the great verses, I'm more than conquerors through him who love us so, and they live such defeated lives. Which is why it is critical as believers not to fall prey to this strategy, not to succumb to the strategy of discouragement and to combat this insidious malady, this this spiritual malady with that which is greater, the holy and the sacred word of God and the power of Christ and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to unleash the word of God as the authoritative response to spiritual discouragement. And my intent in declaring it is that you will apprehend it by faith and use it as a weapon against spiritual discouragement. Now, I strongly encourage you, I strongly encourage you to take out a pen, take out a marker, or a pencil, and write down the scripture text that I'm going to cite. And then go home, study the passages so that you understand them in their respective context, right? To use as a weapon for the times that you may be feeling discouragement, you are feeling discouragement, that you will have a weapon against it. I want to make a comment about that too, by the way. You can quote all the scripture you want, and you may say it doesn't do anything for you, but it is the word of God apprehended by faith. In order to apprehend it by faith, you have to understand its uh, its context and its applicability. Don't use the Bible like a book of Christian incantations, please. Don't just say something that you do not personally experience or personally apprehend by faith. It is the word apprehended by faith that has the authority to move and to speak. 
So let's look at our text here in 2 Corinthians 4.8 through 10, and let's see what the Lord has for us today. And the first question when we're talking about discouragement is this. Does the presence of discouragement mean the absence of God? Let me say that again. Does the the presence of discouragement in your life mean the absence of God? I want you to hold that thought there. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. This is the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he is defending his apostleship. That's what he's doing. There were those in Corinth that were saying, he's not an apostle, he didn't walk with the 12, he didn't do this, so he's defending his apostleship. In verses 1 through 7, he talks about the characteristic of his ministry, the supernatural aspect of his ministry. And in verse 7 he says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the surpassing greatness of the power may be of God and not ourselves. What was Paul saying? His ministry was validated by the power of God that went before him, right? It's not him. It's not Paul. What he's saying is this power comes from God, and he's put it in us in earthen vessels. Man, I could do a whole thing just on verse 7 alone. Earthen vessels, clay pots. That's what earthen vessels are. But let's look at our text. Verse 8. Notice what Paul says about his ministry. And here he talks about the circumstances of his ministry. Notice what he says. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. I had started out by saying the first question, is the presence of discouragement mean the absence of God? The Apostle Paul knew emphatically what it was to suffer, and suffer he did. Um. He talks here about some of the things that he's experienced, right? And here is the apostle of Paul, the great apostle of faith, speaking, and he's speaking with complete transparency and complete honesty. Remember, he's speaking to people who question his authority. And he's mentioning this, and he's speaking this before this fledgling Corinthian church. And Paul shares his heart. Paul, who had labored diligently, diligently, and persistently for the advancement of the gospel of Christ on earth was very, very, very acquainted with discouragement. Not only discouragement, but persecution and illness as well. If you look at the text that we just looked at, I want you to see three key words that the Apostle Paul uses here. And the three key words are as follows. The first one is afflicted, the second one is perplexed, and the third one is persecuted. Let's look at the first one, that word afflicted. Its root word means properly rubbed together, constricted, right? It is 
pressed together. We use the figure of speech, don't we? That person rubs me the wrong way. It's being pressed in. It's being pushed in, right? It's hemmed in. It's restricted. The Apostle Paul says of his ministry, we are afflicted. We are pressed in. We are rubbed. We are constantly going against the grain. We are hemmed in all the time. The second word he uses there, he says, we are perplexed. And that simply means to be at loss. So now he's hemmed in, he's rubbed, he's pressured, and he's at loss. And I think what Paul is saying, he's at loss at explanation for it. And the third word he says there is that they are persecuted. And that means really, its real meaning means to be chased like a deer, to be hunted, to be pursued aggressively. It has both a a positive and a negative meaning. In a positive sense, if you're pursuing a goal, that gives evidence of a positive percent. But in a negative sense, to be pursued means you're being chased. You're being hunted down. Who do you think is doing the chasing or is behind the hunting down? It's our enemy who sought to take the circumstances of Paul, magnify it so that Paul would what? That he would lessen up. That he would stop the work that he's doing there. And these are common experiences during times of discouragement. But if you are in Christ, you already know, listen, you already know that this is normal, is it not? Can somebody tell me the chapter and verse where where the Word of God says that we're to have pleasurable lives at leisure, always, you know, manifesting the blessings of the world, never having a problem? Did Jesus tell us that? I don't remember the Lord mentioning anything like that. God has never never guaranteed us worldly success, praise from the world, acceptance from the world, a life of leisure or a life of comfort or the absence of suffering or illness. Spiritual discouragement occurs when Satan begins to manipulate our emotions. Now, when you think Satan, I want you to think manipulator. Satan equals manipulator. What did Satan do in the garden with Eve? He manipulated the word of God. He manipulated the emotions of Eve to get Eve not only to sin, but to get Eve to get Adam to sin. Satan is always manipulating. And one of the places that he uses against us human beings is our emotions. He gets us to manipulate our emotions and to manipulate them in a way that is not edifying for the kingdom of God, but is more edifying for the kingdom of darkness. So Satan will manipulate our emotions that we would turn ourselves against God. That's the objective. He wants to turn us against God. And you will find him in every circumstance, preaching and at times screaming at your souls to accuse God. That's what he wants you to do. He wants you to accuse God, to doubt God, to even curse God. 
in your circumstances. These feelings start with questions usually like this. I don't understand why God has allowed this to happen. Right? He gets advantage. He gets in and begins to manipulate. And that becomes a very slippery slope. Right? Satan can just chip away at us through our trial and our circumstance until we get to that point where we grow numb. Numb. Where we think serving God is of no effort or serving God is just a waste of time. We can't take another thing. We can't take another blow. We look for God in our human weakness, but we do not find him. And we tend to see the circumstance rather than the sovereign God. The sovereign God. Charles Spurgeon, you all know him, prince of all preachers. Charles Spurgeon suffered with depression. He suffered with depression. And I have this quote that I'm going to share with you. I have it up in my office on the wall. And look what uh, Spurgeon says. He says, immersion in suffering. This is the discouragement, the depression that comes with suffering. He says, immersion in suffering has preceded the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Fasting gives way to an appetite for the banquet. The Lord is revealed on the backside of the desert while his servants keep the sheep and await in solitary awe. What Spurgeon is really saying is, his perspective is, when I suffer, what will follow will be a great move of God as the suffering gives appetite for God then God releases his baptism of the Holy Spirit, his baptism of power, but it all occurs on the backside of the desert. You know what the backside of the desert is? It's when we are alone. It's when we're dealing with our issues alone. It's when it seems that nobody else can understand us, nobody else can get us, They don't try to at least, you know, stay with us. And now we find ourselves all alone, the circumstances of life and us. But if we are believers in Christ, then God will take those opportunities and use them for the glory of the kingdom of God. So does the presence of discouragement mean the absence of, of God. Well, the Apostle Paul and Charles Spurgeon would seem to say emphatically, no. So the first thing that you need to know if you're experiencing discouragement or if you've gone through discouragement is that when you are going through discouragement, God has not forsaken, God has not abandoned, and God will use this for the glory of his name. And we can have that hope in confidence. Let's see the Apostle Paul's response as he wrote in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 10. Let's deal with the first one here. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way. And by the way, the Apostle Paul knew that. He was physically afflicted, right? He was 
persecuted and afflicted in that sense. He knew it every single way. What does he say of this affliction? He says we are afflicted in every way, but we are what? We are not crushed. The the death blow has not been delivered. The knockout punch has not been given. The bell has not rung to the end of the fight. We've taken the blows. I've taken the blows. But guess what? I'm not crushed. I'm not knocked out. I'm not out of the game. Oh, life has a way of dealing blows, does it not? Life has a way of throwing kicks to the head and punches to the gut. And there are so many times, and it's happened to me, and I want to be the first one to say that. There's so many times when you come back and you go, oh, I, I can't. I can't get up. I can't do this again. I can't take another blow. But what does it say of the believer right here? Although we may be afflicted, although everything may be coming against us, we are not crushed. We are not eliminated. And your history will show as a believer in Jesus Christ of the trials that you have gone through that you constantly, constantly get back up again. Why? Because it's Christ in you the hope of glory christ in you the hope of glory although paul says he's pressed in on every side although paul says he is hemmed in by the circumstances paul knew that he had an advocate jesus christ the righteous the person of the holy spirit who dwells within us and he knew christ is our deliverer and christ did indeed deliver Verse 8, he says he's afflicted. Also in verse 8, he says he is perplexed. But he's not despairing. He's not despairing. Paul states that he's not despairing. That simply means that he's not without an exit. That although he cannot figure it, although he doesn't know what's going on, there is an exit. God has provided a way out. Paul would later say, no temptation is common to you, such is common to all men. But God is faithful, who with the temptation will provide a way out. God will provide a way out. Job, the great patriarch, said, though he slay me, yet I will trust in him. He knows the path that I take, and when he has tried me, I shall come forth pure as gold. It's in these times of perplexity. It's in these times of wonder where we have to go deep in the Lord, where we have to, our faith is being tried, where the Word of God, we lean upon the Word of God. Listen, friends may betray us. Family may betray us. Our best people that we know may betray us. But when we have the Word of God and the Word of God is apprehended by faith, it is then and then alone that gives us the ability in our perplexity to say, yes, I'm going to stand. I'm going to continue to go forward. I'm going to continue to trust God. I love Psalm 73. Psalm 73, verses 25 to 28, I, uh, I equate with my go-to psalm. What do I mean? When my life is being challenged, when I'm overwhelmed, when I feel like I have nothing left in me to give, I go to Psalm 73, 25. And it's a great psalm, and I encourage you to go home and study that psalm because it begins with discouragement. It begins with the psalmist saying, 
Man, I look out and I see the unbelievers prospering and I see the unbelievers fat, meaning they have an overabundance of food. I see the unbelievers laughing. I see the unbelievers having a great time. I see the unbelievers advancing in the world and I'm sitting over here and I don't have that. And the psalmist says, until I came into the house of the Lord. And he ends everything in in verses 25 to 28 with these famous, famous words that I cherish, I love. He says, whom am I in heaven but you? My heart and my strength, many times they fail. You hear those words? My heart and my strength, many times they fail. He's not talking about Oh man, I'm so spiritually strong, I never have a moment of weakness. He goes, no, I have many moments of weakness. My own strength fails me, my own character, my own soul, my own heart fails me. But he says this, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He goes on in verse 28 to say, The nearness of my God is my strength. Oh, blessed words. Times of perplexity, times of affliction, but we can still have that solid rock. We can still have that anchor. God doesn't leave. God doesn't forsake. Christ is not a fair-weathered friend. It was never the intention of God to leave his children to deal with the circumstances of life alone. He has given us the Holy Spirit who indwells the believers, who leads the believers in truth, who points us constantly to Christ, who convicts us of sin, who empowers us, who gives us strength that comes from above. Jesus said, I would never leave you. I will never forsake you. And those are words that we can have confidence in and words that we could rest in. Look at verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 4. Verse 8, he said, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not sparing. Verse 9, he says this, persecuted, but not forsaken. And here, the Apostle Paul says, although they have tried to stop me, although I have been the victim of people's hatred, although many have turned against me, God has never forsaken me. God has never forsaken me. The Apostle Paul, at the end of his life, wrote 2 Timothy chapter, uh, 2 Timothy And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, you know, you probably heard this very famous passage when he says, you know, I fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, I've finished the course, right? Henceforth lays up for me a crown of righteousness with the Lord, the righteous judge shall give me on that day, and not only me, but to all those who love his appearance, right? And you hear a lot of people quote, I've fought the good fight, I've kept the faith, right? Kind of sticks in my throat sometimes when I hear politicians say that. But let me share something with you. Prior to that, he tells Timothy, 
all in Asia have deserted me. Where was the lion's share of Paul's ministry? Asia. And at the end of his life, he would be beheaded shortly after this letter was written in 2 Timothy. What does he say? Look at all the churches that are in Asia that I planted. Boy, they're thriving. They're going crazy. Boy, I'm getting fan mail every single day in the Mamertine prison. People just love me. The word of God is advancing. Boy, isn't it great? All in Asia have deserted me. I'm pretty confident because Paul was a human being like we were human beings, like we are human beings. I'm pretty confident that many times in that dark, dank dungeon as he awaited his execution, somewhere along the line, the question had to come out and say, I don't get it, Lord. I was beaten. I was arrested. I'm in this prison. I gave my life for the advancement of the gospel. I don't have a friend in the world. I don't have a friend in the world. Oh, there were few that remained loyal to the Apostle Paul. But where's the success metrics? Where's the big, huge churches that he planted? Just like the church in Corinthians here that were challenging his apostleship. The Apostle Paul says of this, I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. Neither God forsakes me. He ends 2 Timothy with that great word. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Listen, let's break this down into common common language here. We go through various discouragements. Some of them are of our own making. Right? Like when we look at the world and we lust for the world and we want the things of the world and we don't understand why there is injustice in an unjust world and we get frustrated and we look at the politics and we say, this person said that, that person said that, blah, 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 blah. And we run about, run about, run about and we create our own discouragement. But there are other times that we don't create it. There's other times where in the sovereignty of God he has allowed circumstances within our lives that more than overwhelm us. When we ourselves can say we are afflicted in every way but not crushed. When we can say we're perplexed. When we can say we're persecuted. When we can say like the Apostle Paul, we're struck down. God has not left us. God has not orphaned us. God has not left us to figure out this situation on us on our own. He has equipped us. He has enabled us to stand. 
if we hold our faith and trust from Him. Let me share something with you, church. Despair is a lie from the pit of hell. Can I say that again? Despair is a lie from the pit of hell. With God, all things are possible. The motivation of Satan to use discouragement is ultimately to bring the believer to a position of despair. To let go. To say God's useless. It's a waste of time. To lose sight of God, to discount his word, to drive one to utter unbelief. Despair reveals itself so many times in, in, in thoughts like, why bother? I've tried praying, it doesn't work. Why bother? Why go to church? You know, everybody's a hypocrite. Why bother reading the word of God? It doesn't do anything. Such thoughts are not thoughts of faith. They're not thoughts of faith. And if you think that thought, you have to catch yourself and pull you back. They are thoughts of death. They are thoughts of unbelief. Church, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay to go through tough times and circumstances. It's okay that we may suffer physical affliction. It is okay that we may be persecuted for our faith in Christ. But it is not okay to despair of all hope in Christ. Christ. Christ ever lives to make intercession for the saints. Hebrews 7.25 tells us, the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings too deep for words. Romans 8.26 tells us this, we are children of God, join heirs with Christ. Christ has paid our penalty and we always have a way out and not only a way out, but we always end up in triumph and in victory. Don't believe me? Listen to the Word of God. Let the Word of God speak. Psalm 18, verses 30 to 32. As for God, His way is blameless. The Word of the Lord is tried. That means it's proven. He is a shield to all those who take refuge in Him. For who is God but the Lord? Who is a rock except our God the God who girds me with strength and makes my way blameless. Psalm 27, 1 through 3. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers came upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamped against me, my heart will not fear. The war arise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. Psalm 73, I just mentioned this one to you, 25 to 28. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. In verse 28, but as for me, the nearness of my God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all thy works. There's a question. Have you made the Lord God your refuge, your sanctuary, your go-to place, your dwelling place with him? Yes, 
As for the spear, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10.13, no temptation, that means no trial, no testing, no temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to man, and God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide a way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Listen, Christian brother or sister, God has equipped us. God battles alongside us. He knows our frame that we are but dust, but God has provided something better for us. He causes us to triumph in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 2.14. But thanks be to God who always leads us in his triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. As Christians, we always carry about the death of Jesus inside of us. You know, the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. He goes on, he doesn't end it there, right? And the fellowship of his suffering. Paul's desire was to know both. The power, the glory, the majesty, the strength. But Paul wanted to know the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death. Our Savior was full of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He carried about the sufferings and the rejections of the world. And so do we. But we do not despair. While Satan seeks to manipulate our trials for us to reject and denounce God during the trials... God works all of these for his good and for his glory, as Romans 8.26 says. Believers testify to that which the world cannot see. And that is, and that bears evidence to our Savior and his abiding presence in the believer. Once again, hear the word of God. I want you to hear the word of God. 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 through 18. Again, same possible, same context. Look at what he says here. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And this gives us three principles, three principles we can use for countering discouragement that we see right here in this verse. Number one, we do not lose heart. As believers in Christ, as the elect of God, we do not and cannot lose hope. As previously stated by the Apostle Paul, that our God, what does he do? He always leads us in triumph in Christ. Christ triumphed, did he not? Was not the path of Christ triumphant? Does Christ not ultimately rule and reign? But the path was littered with trial and circumstances. Romans 8.31 32, man, I don't think it could be made any clearer. The Apostle Paul's then, what shall we say to these things? 
If God is for us, who can be against us? Why do Christians suffer trials and discouragement? That question, listen, cannot always be answered in this life. It can't. We see trials and discouragement in the prophets. We see it in the apostles. We see it in our Lord Jesus Christ. We see it in the early church fathers. We see it in this day and age, the people who are advancing the gospel in countries that are being persecuted and are being killed in the process. But notice what the Word of God says. He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also freely give us all things? Listen, we must hold to the word of God. It is the word of God apprehended by faith. And remind ourselves that with every trial, every temptation, God will provide a way out. That God is indeed our deliverer. Proverbs 18.10 says this. I love this. I quote this quite often. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run in. They are safe. So number one, we do not lose heart. Number two, principle number two. Our suffering, our trials, our momentary discouragement is producing an eternal way to glory. Trials are designed by God to strengthen the believer to grow in faith through the delivering power of God. That's what they're designed to do. Trials draw upon the unseen God who then displays his power and glory in our circumstances to persevere and enables us to overcome them victoriously. Again, the word of God. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. This the Apostle Peter wrote to a church that was underground and suffering persecution at the hands of Rome. I mentioned this verse previously, Job 23.10. It's one of the life verses for me. He knows the path that I take. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth pure as gold. Believers, God knows the path that you are on. We are to remain in Christ, not to despair as the rest of the world with the eyes of faith, firmly fixed on the victory that will be ours. Remember, even the Apostle Paul said, in my weakness... His power is displayed. So we see, number one, that we're not to lose heart. Number two, that these trials are for our good. Number three, and this is an important one, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are unseen. Discouragement usually occurs because of circumstances, life circumstances. One can become discouraged by something that has taken place, or one could be discouraged by something that was desired by themselves and not fulfilled or received. The manipulation of circumstances. Satan, 
manipulator. Satan, manipulator. The manipulation of circumstances is Satan's favorite strategy for discouragement. We are all exposed to his manipulation as human beings. However, believers are spiritual beings. Believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Hence, we have spiritual eyes. And Paul tells us, while we look not at the things that are seen, many times our circumstances are very visible to us. Are they not? We're looking at them. We get overwhelmed by them. What does the apostle say? The apostle says, we look to the things that are unseen. We look to the unseen world. We look to the power of the Holy Spirit. We look to the sovereign God. We look to Jesus Christ as our intercessor to be our deliverer from those things. Our discouragement, our trials, our suffering are those things that are not permanent. They are temporary in nature. But counter to that is looking to those things which are eternal. Joni Erickson Tata, I think most of you know who Johnny is. She has this quote I came upon from a woman that was a paraplegic. She writes these words. Being a Christian does not mean that you are immune from discouragement. It will happen. But you do not have to be defeated by it. Remember the power, the hope, and the goodness of God. Trust in His promises. Your faith in Christ will enable you not only to fight, but to win the battle. So what must we do? What must we do? In times of spiritual discouragement, discouragement, the first thing we must do is not look inward, but look upward. See, when we look inward, we see all our fallibility, and we're going to be guided by all of our fallibility. When we look upward, we see the perfection of God, the glory of God, the sovereignty of God, the plan and the purpose of God. It's very easy to look inward. The world tells you look in yourself to find the answers. Every time I look inward, I got more confused than I was before I started looking inward. But when I look to God, I see plan. When I look to God, I see purpose. When I look to God, I could rejoice in his sovereignty. When I look to God, I could rejoice in his election. When I look to God, I could rejoice in his choosing of me. When I look to God, I can rejoice that he has a purpose for my life, that the steps of the righteous are ordained by God. When I look to God, I see future. I see a hope. This is why I gave up on politics many years ago. Why did I give up on politics? What a waste of time. What a colossal waste of time that is. We sit and we look for justice in an unjust world. But I look toward Christ. And I look toward God. And I see an eternity in perfection, in immortality, in righteousness, and all the things that plague me on this world will never be anymore. My hope is in him. Psalm 18.3 says this. Listen to this. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. 
and I am saved from my enemies. Praise God. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. I'm not calling on a politician. I'm not calling on an army. I'm not calling on a general. I'm not calling on anything on this earth. I am calling upon the Lord, Yahweh. That's who I'm calling upon. And he is, he is the one who will save me from my enemies. Psalm 18:46. the Lord lives. Is that not a great statement? The Lord lives. And blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation. Listen, discouragement is a spiritual battle. We talk so much about spiritual warfare. When you're in a time of discouragement, you are engaged in spiritual warfare. Therefore, it must be countered spiritually. And listen, I tell everybody this. There are four key, uh, four key disciplines that you must maintain in your life to be victorious here. And they're really simple. These aren't, you know, aha moments. They shouldn't be aha moments. Number one, prayer. And not the, Lord, I thank you for this food, and Lord, I pray that you would bless this, and Lord, I need that. That's not the prayer. It's the guttural prayer. It's the prayer that comes from deep, deep, deep down inside you and spending time with God and weeping in prayer and crying out to God in prayer. Prayer, it is the number one tool that God has given and equipped us with. Number two, fasting. Spending time alone with God in prayer, but doing away with the necessities of the life, primarily food. And getting alone with God and fasting and praying, as our Lord did at the commencement of his ministry. He did it 40 days. I'm not there yet. All right? But fasting and prayer are important elements. The third one, the meditation of Scripture. Not reading the Bible. Meditation of Scripture. The psalmist says, thy word I hide in my heart. I hide it in my heart that I may not sin against thee. When the enemy comes upon to tempt, you can draw from the word of God that is in your soul. And then the last one is the fellowship with the saints. The fellowships with other believers. Listen, when you go through a time of discouragement, those are the four things that Satan sets out to cause you not to do. You know why? Because any strategy in warfare is to attempt to try and isolate your enemy. How can you exploit your enemy's weakness? Well, if you're not praying, you're not fasting, you're not meditating on the Word of God, and you disjoined yourself from the fellowship of brothers and sisters, guess what? You pray. You prime for an attack of the enemy that will come and overwhelm you. Listen, if you are not active in Christ, not spirit-filled, then how can one draw on the tools and power of God that you do not know? How shall we by faith conquer principalities and spiritual forces if we do not pray? I mean, it's common sense. How shall we have eyes of faith and apprehend God at his word if we don't meditate upon the word of God? And how shall we have fellowship and resources of other believers if we forsake the assembling 
together with the saints. To persevere and emerge triumphant in discouragement does take commitment and discipline to stay on course with Christ. But more importantly, it takes the spiritual resources of the Holy Spirit to give us the eyes of faith to grasp the hope that is ours in Christ. We are not orphaned. God has equipped us. Lift up your eyes for your redemption draweth nigh. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you today, Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, thy word I hide in my heart that I may not sin against thee. And so, Father, Lord God, I pray that you would take this word. Lord, just like you took the five loaves and the two fish and you fed thousands upon thousands, will you take this word, Lord, and break it and feed thousands upon thousands. And Father, Lord God, I pray that if there are any here who have not come to faith in Christ, Lord, from the depths of their soul, may they cry out. May they look to you. May they confess their sin. May they stop putting their trust on what they may have done and throw their trust on Christ and Christ alone and by faith, Lord, apprehend him as Lord and Savior and King and God. And Lord, may you cause them to be born again, Father, Lord. Help us to see, Father, that in this world, as our Lord Jesus said, we shall have tribulations. But he went on to say, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. Father, speak to hearts today, I pray, in the blessed, most holy name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.